done. We want to jump in quickly today to uh, number two in this series. The last time we gathered, two weeks ago, we asked the question in Luke 18 where Jesus heard the confrontational cries of a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus crying out, Have mercy on me, son of David. The crowd tried to quiet him. Jesus called for him and said, What do you want me to do for you? And so we're posing these questions that Jesus asked of people. Now, there are well over a hundred. We're only going to ask seven, okay? So today is question number two. These are critical questions, I believe, in your personal spiritual growth that how you respond to and answer Jesus' questions to these individuals, which I think are posed to you and to me, each of us as individuals, uh, together collectively as families, certainly as the spiritual family of God, the church of the living God, how we answer these are very telling. And it shows the condition of our heart and how we're relating to the Lord. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you if you would one more time, please, to stand with me. As we sang that great song, I'll stand with arms high and hearts abandoned. So we just want you, I'm going to read the stuff in white. When we get to a red letter line, I want you heartily, everybody, to read out loud together, okay? Reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible says, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, You guys are good. This is great, okay? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. And can you blame them? You have something that is undeniably, incredibly miraculous that takes place in your life. And keeping quiet about it is an impossibility. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you today for the amazing miracle that you've done in each of our lives. That you have opened our blind spiritual eyes that you have called us from deadness into life. Thank you for the prophetic word that just that one line that Abby was bringing this morning of encouragement to this congregation that we do not have to be afraid of the valley of the shadow of death because if there's a shadow, there has to be some light somewhere. God, we thank you for the light that's in the darkness and that dispels it. We thank you for life that swallows up death. Thank you, Jesus, that you conquered that. And because of that, we stand this morning with arms high and hearts abandoned. And we worship you in your presence. And we ask you today to open our eyes to see and understand, open our ears to hear, to particularly to embrace the promises of God and to respond in faith. We ask for this in the strong name of Jesus. I just declare before you, Lord, and everybody here and those listening, that I, that I am totally in desperate need of you. Move today by your spirit. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated this morning. The presence of the Lord. If you're looking to get your bulletins, they obviously are dated for last week. We use the same from last week. This morning we are looking at the question that Jesus asked two blind men this time. The Gospel of Matthew. This almost looks like the same story 
uh, told again different kind of circumstances. And if, sometimes when you read to the Gospels, you might think, now to all the old folks in here, you remember how on your, on your phonograph, you remember your record player, you know what that thing is? All the young folks are, to this day, it's really cool to collect vinyl again and get a stylus and actually play on a turntable. But you remember when they would, would, would get a, a scratch on the vinyl and, and then the record would stick and it would keep repeating a phrase over and over and over and you'd have to get up and move it over. Or maybe uh, something was wrong with the CD. Let's bring it up at least to the 1990s, okay, 25 years ago. Uh, and the same thing happens. Or I've actually had an MP3 player go bad and it would just kind of hang. Or maybe there was actually something corrupted in the file and it would hang or it would skip over. And it's, it's almost like you feel like, okay, haven't, haven't we been here? Haven't we done this? Didn't we, didn't we see a blind man crying out, have mercy, son of David? And this is not the same story. These are actually two different people, two different characters at this setting. This one took place in the house in Capernaum. The other one was outside of Jericho with a guy by the name of Bartimaeus. And so news is spreading abroad. It is being echoed, as it says in the New Testament in the Greek, Galilee is stirred up. Everybody say, turnt up. It is turnt up because there's an enormous amount of excitement that is going on because we've had this new guy come to town. 400 years of silence. It's referred to as the intertestamental period. From the end of Malachi to the opening of Matthew, until we actually hear of the prophet of a guy by the name John who comes up out of the wilderness prophesying the voice of one saying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every mountain be brought low. Every valley be exalted. Make his path straight. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And so we have 400 silent years, so much so that the faithful had begun to even legitimately at times have doubts and ask the question, is God dead? Because we've not seen any stir. There's been no movement. There's been no prophetic, not even corrective prophetic voice has arisen because it's referred to as the silent period, 400 years. And all of a sudden, blazing out of the wilderness, we have this prophet who is eating locusts and wearing leather and uh, and, and, and declaring crazy things that people haven't heard before, that this one that they're looking for is coming. He was the one who is to preempt or prepare the way to come before, to precede. Status quo of religious life has obviously been incredibly interrupted. The way things are have given way to the way things are going to be under this new ministry of Jesus. The Pharisees especially are particularly torqued up. They had, there had been the appearance of some little rumbles of some would-be prophets or teachers that had begun to disturb, but that had happened throughout Israel's history, and, and most of them were without any real significant influence whatsoever. But there had just been this long period, and they'd been waiting, and all of a sudden there was something very different about this Jesus of Nazareth who had a little house in Capernaum now. This is where he's living in his hometown. And he'd come home. He was ministering along the coast of Galilee and everybody heard about it. And there's something very different about this Jesus because he speaks with authority and when he speaks, he gets results. He declares the word of the Lord and he speaks and the dead are raised and the blind eyes are opened and the deaf ears are unstopped and the, the mute 
Those unable to speak all of a sudden begin to declare the praises of God and the glory of the Lord in their mouths. And so something very different and unique about this one. And everybody is crowding into uh, town because they know that Jesus has come home. He's got a house there and everybody wants to find out what's potentially going to happen. Because everywhere he goes, there is a stir. Folks cannot stay the way they used to be when Jesus comes around. Hear that this morning. You cannot stay the way you have always been and it becomes the way you used to be because He makes a demand on your faith and it begins to bring transformation in your individual lives. That's what happened when Jesus shows up. And somehow these two blind men had, had hold of the same kind of revelation that Bartimaeus had. That's this whole son of David thing, this whole have mercy on us situation that he's crying out in, in, in a kind of a connection to an Old Testament prophecy. And let me just give you a little bit of reminder. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. The prophet Nathan comes to David and the word of the Lord proceeds from his mouth and he says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David enjoyed an acceptance was called the beloved. The scripture declares him in the book of Acts in the New Testament to be a man after God's own heart. And when you read through the account of David in the books of First and Second Samuel and their portions in Kings and Chronicles as well, one told from the, the prophet's side, one told from the history of the kings. And when you read about the life of David and what he does and the exploits and the sometimes crazy things that he does and the highs of victory and the lows of sin and tragedy and death and loss and temptation. You see the incredible humanness of a man that God loved wholly. W-H-O-L-E-L-Y. Wholly. With everything. A man after God's own heart. And, and, and if you don't have an understanding of grace the way David did, you would look at David's life and you would think, this guy gets away with stuff that others die trying. And, and, and I don't believe that, that, that necessarily he was some kind of favorite of God's. And there are those that would tell you that God has no favorites, that he loves everybody the same. And I just don't think that's correct. I don't think that's right at all. I think God, I think God has every one of you as a favorite. I'm just like I don't, have, uh, I don't love one of my children more than I do the other, but I love both of them very differently. They're two very different people, and I love them both with my whole heart. But to say I love them the same just undercuts... Are you hearing where I'm coming from? So I believe that you can be God's favorite and Jeremy and Heather can be God's favorite and Dawn can be God's favorite and Abby can be God's favorite and Patrick and, and Paula can be God's favorites too. I think David had an understanding of his relationship with God that, that, that called upon the mercy and the grace of God and it looked like he got away with stuff that other people got killed trying. And I think that when we don't understand that grace and that mercy that he was able to tap into and rely upon, understanding that he was broken and needed God in the midst of his humanness and his sinful nature and that yet he had a God that was crazy about him and loved him with an everlasting love. Come on, somebody. I love the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 55 verses 3 and 4 says, Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David 
Isaiah was prophesying to the covenant people and he says, if you will just incline, get your ear tuned in to hear my voice and, and you will call out to me, I will speak and come to you and it will make your dead soul come alive and I'll make a promise to you the same way I did the sure mercies of David. Are you hearing that phrase? Everybody say the sure mercies. How many of you know if you knew that you would always have mercy when you needed it, when you called on God, you might live a little bit differently? Now, not flippantly, not in a cavalier kind of manner, but you knew that you knew that you knew that God always had your back and He would never, ever fail you. And there were some things called the sure mercies of Dawn, the sure mercies of Rachel, the sure mercies of Lori and Tony. Sure mercies of David, they made a connection back to their ancestral father because they knew that God had made David some promises and these two blind men connected the dots historically because they knew that this new guy who had walked on the scene was getting results because he wasn't just a new charismatic prophet. He didn't just have a great marketing team and a Madison Fifth Avenue. His sayings, but he had, he had authority. He spoke by the power of the Spirit. And when he spoke, demon up and became alive. Oh, hallelujah. He said, In the sure mercies of David, behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the take tedious time. If you're reading through the Bible, let's just go on and confess. We all jump over, whether they're in Numbers or whether they're in, in Ezra, whether they're in Chronicles. And when you get to the New Testament, you want to hear something, you want to get strengthened in your faith to rise, and you want to just want to jump over all that history and all of those genealogies, and he was the father of blah, 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 blah. All of that is important. It is not without significance because two of the Gospels, ology means the account of or the study of. To give a word, logia, logic. Biology is the study of life. Genealogy is the study of your genes, your family, your time. In Matthew, it connected Jesus through Joseph, who was his legal father by adoption, all the way back through David, all the way to Abraham. Not his real father. God was his father. That's, that's okay, but we're just showing you that it counts for both sides. Luke, and it does the same trace through a different branch on the family tree, all the way back through and we're particularly in Matthew and in Luke as well. And when Jesus looks at these guys because their attention has been gotten by Jesus, he has gotten, they have gotten his attention by saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Sure mercies of David. Son of David, mercy on us. And he looks at them and they ask the question, question do you believe, put that one up for me if you would, guys, do you believe I am able to do this. Quickly, we have two able. So one is faith. The other one is ability. Do you be different issues are here in this particular setting? My next point. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more to his power that is at work within us. Listen. I don't want to skirt over. able. Everybody say able. Paul is wrapping up the third chapter and he says, let the praise of God extend and, 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 and let the shouts and the age and world without end, he says. He says, to him who is able, 
believe that you've gathered in a place this morning where, where we as a congregation believe that God is able. Prophesying this morning, your situation doesn't even matter. It's just pittance to God. It doesn't matter because God is able to do immeasurably more. King James says exceeding abundantly of all that we can ask or think. This one says all that we can ask or imagine. Come on, whatever you can to exceed beyond that. Whatever you can ask for in prayer, no matter how. I, come on, I'm just preaching a little bit this morning. This is not, this is not deep. Dig down and study a Greek word. Everybody just say, of a message that causes the, the ground to break open and the tiny seed of the word to... If you can just hear, then your soul will live, is what the word says. God is able. I want you to grasp. I doubt if I... I doubt there's anybody in the room, if I polled you on top of your smart device, your tablet or whatever, and I, I just ask you one question, do you believe that God is circumstances? However you would define it. I believe there would probably be 100. I know that God is able. It's about His power. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. We trust God is powerful. But something falls short between that He will. We, di- we get a disconnect it's if our won't start because we disable the power when we lose in there because you need both of those kinds of experiences in your life to call upon the power of God. Both the, the positive, beautiful things of expression that we celebrate in times where we are driven down into a place of, uh, of greater stability and foundation. And it's taking both of those being connected to the battery post to get the car started for the power to be there. And everybody will say, yes, God is able, but they lose and fall short and they disconnect the battery when they say, yes, He's willing. My parents, when I was a little kid, we sat at the table and we'd fold our hands and to pray and this food. By our hands we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. And I remember as a teenager when I started memorizing some scripture how trite and childish, I thought that prayer was. Scripture, when we'd pray at meals, and sometimes mom would go, honey, leave the missionaries off, just pray for the food. Fully <laughs> maturity, and so. And then as I really grew and began to mature later in life, I really began, because when you can say God is great and God is good, or an ability, but you're also connecting to the other post, and you're saying in the middle of the, I know that you're good, that you're working all things together for my good and we sang it this morning as you are good God you are good and that means God is willing his character is love and mercy together and give him praise God is not just great but he is this is where we, we, we fall short sometimes because we, go, we hear the testimonies of people who were in desperate places and they cried out to God and God answered them and it was remarkable things that took place and sh- happened and took place and sometimes we disconnect because we go, well, that must be a person. And we're disconnecting from the willingness, from the goodness of God. Listeners of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Jesus, God has already said, every promise in the book has a yes for pastors of local churches, not just for folks who are 80 years old and been walking with God, with faith in his or her heart, Look at the yes that God is attached to the promise. The amen means, God, I acknowledge it. Be it unto me according to your word. So be it. I believe. What did Jesus ask of you? What? Do you believe I am able to do this? So as we divide this this morning, we have God's ability, and we know that's there. And we've also attached this morning 
this little willing. And so the last thing I want to share with you this morning as I close this message is this is the... It gets hung up in my belief in where, whether or not I can trust. He said this morning, realize that there's got to be some light somewhere. And you know something, have you, have you ever... If you can just turn around in your shadow, in your death valley, and you can find where the light is and start... The closer to the light you get, the shorter the shadows become. The farther away from the light you move, the, the, the cloud... Some of us get comfortable in those places where we just sort of find our, our, ourselves worrying and striving and fretting. And, and We've got to get up and walk to the light. Come on, somebody. Who is the light? Everybody say, Jesus, I've got two weeks worth in me. <laughs> Last point, man's belief. In what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Praying. But faith takes over where hope is merely just the, the, the potential, maybe one of these days kind of an expectation. But faith kicks it into gear and says, no, now it's mine. God says yes to the promise. Faith rises up and says, amen. So be it. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Verse 6 is the one thing that tells us that we need if impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe everybody. I am able to do this. He says, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He Him. Come on, you got up today, you bounced the button 14 times, you decided to come on and come to church. Maybe that's not you, maybe that's the 1045 folks. You got a team at 745 and ushers in here getting things cleaned up. And I'm going to just be no seats available in 1045. My dear, dear friend, now this, this name is going to make Findorf, is the pastor of a wonderful church in Kansas City. And 60 of his colleagues, they're on their way. They've actually been staying at the uh, suites down here, comforting to the Civil Rights Museum yesterday and toured that. And the college minister preached on down to the University of West Florida to do campus ministry. This, is, this coming week is their spring in school 60 spirit-filled, born-again, blood-bought young men and women, 18 to 25, will be in this room in them because they're going to bring faith in here and, and kind of shake up the room in the 1045 a little bit on the campus of University of West Florida all week long. And so 1045 is going to be crazy. So you guys came to the right service. was once addressed by a man who had a son who was demon-possessed. The, 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 he gets Jesus' attention and cries out to God, and, 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 and can do anything for us, help us. And, and I love it because 23, and Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? A little bit bolder and a little bit more brash than maybe we would think of Jesus saying sometimes. Other translations, he can. Say, he's able. I believe it. All right. Anything is possible if a person believes. What did we sing this morning in Healer? We sang it over and over. Nothing is impossible. God is able to change your set of circumstances. I just want to say to you, on God's ability in your life is your belief to the uttermost. God can heal and wipe away every disease like you can't even believe. You come up with it and you just think about it and He is able to He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can even begin to think about about this morning because God is able to do more than that. He is able. This is what the sorting to your faith. Jesus responded and said, Be it done unto you. 
message Bible says it in a way that's absolutely undeniable. If this doesn't connect, <laughs> Eugene Peterson said it this way in the message. Jesus said, according to your faith, what you believe. Look at your neighbor and say, become what we've cleared that up. He's not only able, but he's good. He's great and he's good. Say, God's great. It comes when Jesus says, do you believe I am able to do this? The ability, the able part is cleared up. Not only does he have the power, but he is willing to do it in your life. So then the really only real limitation on what God will do in your life then begins to be recognized. Trust him to save me. Will I trust him to, to heal me? Will I trust him to to right a wrong? Will I trust Him to, to bring me out of the shame? That even in all of those circumstances that He is able to work all things together for my good. He is able, but the issue I'm able to do this, Jesus said. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just for a little bit of faith preaching. Just something to stir up our hearts to make us begin to see that you're so much bigger Thunders on sometimes, O oh Lord, and we get down in the middle of our trouble and sorrow and our frustration. That's all we talk about. Forgive us. Cleanse our mouths. The same way that you grabbed hold of Isaiah and he saw you high and lifted up. The first thing you did was of what he had been saying. God, I ask you right now that you do that. Cleanse our hearts first. And Lord, let what proceeds from our mouths be words of faith instead of doubt and unbelief and faith.